In the future, esports players with handles like Eric Eruption and Hypebits could be as big as sports stars like Steph Curry, Rafael Nadal, or Lionel Messi. And esports itself, an empire that touches fashion, music, and lifestyle. In this B-side episode, Ferdinand M. Gutierrez, chief executive officer of esports company Ampverse, talks about mobile gaming and how it has democratized esports in Southeast Asia. Before founding Ampverse, Mr. Gutierrez was an advertising executive executive and, at one point, head of marketing at Twitch, an interactive live streaming service. He tells Business World reporter Patricia B. Mirasol why esports is an ideal avenue for brands that want to market to Gen Zs and Gen Alpha, and how Amverse fits in this budding ecosystem. Can you describe what it's like for the players and the audience? I mean, what can people experience at an actual esports tournament? Esports is like professional leagues like the NBA, the NFL, English Premier League. To me, you know, they're very, very similar. It's just that esports are played on a screen and, and most sports are played on a field. Before the pandemic, I was lucky enough to go to an Overwatch World Championship in LA. And it was amazing. It was a crowd of at least 10,000 people. And it was just an electric atmosphere. I mean, it's as good as any sports event I've ever been to. A lot more engaging, let's say, than, you know, maybe some of the even more traditional sports I've been in. Look, I'm a big NBA fan. I'm a big tennis fan. I mean, I'm a big sports fan in general. But when you see the energy of these fans and how they got engaged in it, the, how hard they rooted for their country or their teams. Wow, it's as engaging as anything I've ever seen. And when you think about that these types of audiences, they're different because what they are is they generally tend to be younger. They're very kind of passionate about pledging their allegiances. And when they do, that's because they authentically believe in them. And, you know, what's great is to see um, that kind of support, not only from a you know, local level, but from a national level. I, I think it's just as exciting as any other sports event I've ever been at. You know, it's just, it's the same level or even higher in some cases. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really about pure sport. It's really about, you know, supporting their favorite teams or their favorite players. What makes this audience a little bit more different is they're connected through digital channels. Imagine sport with another element of digital on top of it. And that's what makes it exciting because how connected are these guys? You know, all the things that they do is on is online. And that just basically gives you added connectivity, added community, and that community adds more energy to what we do from an esports perspective. I wonder, I mean, what's the typical profile of a successful esports player? Typically, our players are between 17 and 25. And the reason why, you know, typical esports players are that age is because their reflexes from, from what they see on the screen to what they do with their thumbs is really fast. You know, we're talking about nanosecond problems, right? You know, the ability to react to what's happening on the screen is usually a younger guy sport. And that's why it's really important that we find the right players who have that sort of capacity or skill to be very, very quick and agile with their movement. Because one wrong move, you easily lose the game. It's important that we find guys 
who also can share a team mentality because in these esports, everybody has a role, just like American football or even basketball, where somebody's a point guard or somebody's a center. Everybody has a role and they got to know their role well and they got to be, again, able to quickly adjust to what's happening in the game and they have to analyze the strategies. So there's so much more to learning esports and it's not like easy to learn. Well, it's easy to learn in terms of playability, but hard to master when it comes to mastering all the different characters, all your different roles, and how you integrate a strategy with four other people. So the good players know their roles very well. And the good players, you know, understand how to, you know, take advantage of, of their role in the game. And obviously they have very quick twitch reflexes and, and they're able to, you know, make the adjustments and do the things that we need them to do in a way that's faster than anybody else because speed matters in this game. Speed plus strategy, quick thinking, quick movements is all critical for us to become winners. I wonder since esports is still a pretty new career to get into. I mean, it's very non-traditional. It's not like your usual law and medicine. What was your friends and family's first reaction when you decided to go professional in this industry? It was interesting. Obviously, you know, this is not the first thought in the Filipino parents' mind that their kid is going to go into gaming. I mean, advertising, I think they can make that leap. But gaming, they would think, what's going on in gaming? Obviously, since the gaming industry is relatively new. I wouldn't say it's super new. It's relatively new, um, you know, more developed in markets like in the US and in Europe. You know, obviously gaming is a new frontier. I, I've always thought that from my career perspective, I always look for the next place where it's going to be a growth area in the business. And from a digital perspective, I saw that gaming was had huge potential only because you could see the behavioral changes in the audiences and, and how you can see it becoming a bigger part of people's lives. So in the beginning, you know, obviously gaming was is something casual that you do alone. And as it grew in popularity and it gets sort of morphed into professional gaming and gaming with a competitive nature with more than one player, you could see that this could be the next big thing in sports. You know, coming from a very traditional Filipino family, I think there is a little bit of surprise that we're in the gaming field, but I think um, my parents always kind of knew that I've always been uh, a person who looks to the future and, and, and builds for the future. And I think when you think about how the next generation is going to look for their, their next careers, not so much what's built today, it's what's going to be built tomorrow. That's what I feel like I've always done in my career is, is always find the next tomorrow and be a part of it. What were the beginnings of the esports industry in the Philippines? Did esports start with games like Counter Strike back in the 90s? I think, you know, generally they're team titles, like let's say Mobile Legends or Arena of Valor or PUBG Mobile. It starts with when did it stop being just personal and casual gaming and turning to esports, right? I think, um, yeah, Counter-Strike was a massive game. I think everybody loved it. I think that's probably one of the first most popular games in the Philippines. But obviously, when it comes to that genre or in terms of PC gaming, because back in the day, you know, mobile gaming and mobile esports was not prevalent. The big game, obviously, in recent history is Dota 2. You know, Philippines is a huge Dota 2 market with some of the best players in the world coming from the Philippines. And I grew, and I think that was the real start of esports in the Philippines, I think, is in Dota 2. Um, I could be wrong, but, you know, that's my personal opinion. But since then, it's kind of morphed into because of the reach of mobile games. Mobile Legends now is the big sport or the big esports title in the Philippines because of its 
you know, accessibility to a broader audience base and more players are allowed, you know, can can have access to the game. As you know, in PC, you know, it's dependent on how good your PC is, right? And it's dependent on how good your, your connections is, et cetera. In mobile gaming, you know, it leave, needs less power and you have way more players that can get involved in it. And basically what it's done is democratize esports in a sense where there's more people that can get involved versus just maybe middle class to you know upper class getting access to like high-end equipment that costs a lot of money. So that's why I think for, for the difference between the two regions would probably be this region's way more mobile centric than it is in Europe and the US. So Southeast Asia is more mobile centric precisely because it's cheaper to get into it and also it's it does it require that much bandwidth it's a lower barrier to entry to players right it's because you don't need to have an expensive pc to play it i feel like it's democratized gaming because you know you can play a free fire with like a you know a hundred dollar phone and you won't have any issues being competitive because a lot of the times if you're going to play in like an arena valor or if you're going to play a mobile legend you're going to have to have a pretty good spec phone um, because you don't you don't want to see any lag in the phone right the technology uh, has to be good enough to be able to support very quick motions from a player perspective so if there's any lag in your motion you can easily lose and that, that would be the same from a pc perspective but a game like free fire like i said you know you can play with it with a cheaper phone and you can be as good as anybody as long as you're good at the game it's more about your skill versus the spec in your phone can you tell me how Ampers grew as a company within that context? Yeah, I mean, we've always wanted to be an esports company with the expertise that we had in the in the business. Matt Baer, our one of our co-founders and chief gaming officers, you know, he's been in esports all his life and he's been in through the early days of Warcraft and to, to where we are today. We always felt like we could find the right players and, and build the right infrastructures for them and become world-class from where we compete. So we started off here in Thailand. And then we expanded our operations by adding it. Later, we bought a team in Vietnam called SBTC, which is one of the top League of Legends teams there. And in India, we play a game called BGMI or Battlegrounds India. Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of on pause at the moment, but we were playing well. And I think the other competitive advantage that we have is that we understand how to monetize the business of esports because it's not only just winning on the pitch and or winning on the screen. It's about how much support you can get from and how you can make esports a business. And on my side and our other co-founder, Charlie Bailey, you know, we're on the commercial side of the business. We understand how to build good sponsorship models. We understand how to be able to take our players and everybody around the teams to become marketing tools for the next generation of audience, which is Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And I think that's a very important part of how do we become a business is it's not just the prize money and the sponsorships, it's how do you become commercially viable with brands, you know, like a Coca-Cola, for example, or where, where we work with those guys to make money. I feel that your background as an advertising executive helped you with the commercial part of your business. Absolutely. I mean, it's not easy for esports teams to be profitable because if they don't win, you know, there's no prize money and you got to figure out different revenue streams. Uh, if you're not good at understanding how to build a sponsorship model for your team, you're not going to make money either. 
So in the beginning, you could probably get away with it because there was not a lot of cost to being a part of, a, you know, to being part of a team because most of the time in the early days, it's a bunch of friends putting a team together and getting enough money to go and compete in a tournament. But now there, there's real players in the industry that are putting real money into it. It's not that easy anymore. As an esports owner, we're responsible for their salaries. We're responsible for coaching. We actually have a gaming house that we fund that includes all food and uh, equipment it's just like any other big, you know, PBA team in the Philippines, right? You got to pay for all that. And it's how do you manage the books and be able to be profitable? And I think that's what we've been good at is not only are we winning, but we're also, you know, able to make the right commercial partnerships in order for us to thrive and get better players and, and become a better organization. Can you mention like one main revenue stream that works for Ampers? You know, obviously, besides just being an esports team, we also are venturing into different types of business models with me and Charlie's background in advertising and ad tech. We have an influencer business. Uh, for example, in Thailand, I would say we have about 60% of all the top gaming influencers and they do two things. Either one, they're part of our whole um, esports communications, meaning they become brand ambassadors for us. For the other side of it is where we work with our gaming talent in this region where we are using them for advertising or marketing purposes. So then what they do is like they can do a branded video with, let's say, Nestle or if we, they would pay us for, as an influencer agency. You know, that part of the business is something that we're also quite adept. We're also starting to look at different things where we're, we're building more interaction or engagement with our audiences because eventually what we want to move away from becoming a B2B type business to a D2C. So that means that what we're doing is, you know, starting to really profile our fan base. And what we're trying to do is engage them more and give them more product to do that. For example, you know, everything from doing reality TV shows to mall tours with our teams and talent. You know, we're trying to build a culture around gaming and that culture includes music, includes fashion, includes all these things. So in order and for us to build that culture, you know, we have to build that engagement layer, which I, we, I believe is, is important. So we're doing things like that. And obviously, you know, we've already started working on our, our you know, revenue in terms of direct to consumer. So you can see that esports is just a part of what we do. And as a company grows, we're building an ecosystem that allows us to be much more than an esports company, but a real viable gaming company. You know, what we want to do is one day the gaming and esports will become more mainstream. That's really one of the things that we want to do. The other initiative is to take a lot of the things that we do from a Web 2 perspective and making it more viable in Web 3. So to intersect all these other verticals like celebrity, like movies, like music, and really gaming is turning into a subculture or even a culture in itself. Gaming has always been sort of a mini metaverse. It's just not as, you know, as maybe it's not a 3D environment where you're using Oculus glasses to get in. But if you're playing GTA or if you're playing other games, even Roblox, those are metaverses, right? You're a, you're an avatar and you buy stuff, you interact like a metaverse would. So I think that taking those Web 2 type properties and bringing them into Web 3 properties, that's another one of our key initiatives. And I think that, you know, a lot of things that we're doing is really exciting because we've already bought a plot in Sandbox and we're trying to build Amp First World and we're trying to figure out ways that brands can get involved in that. But more importantly, as the speeds grow and the interactivity levels grow as a result of increased infrastructure to do 3D environments and all this other stuff, man, you're going to see a lot of people escaping into these worlds. So if you're a movie fan, that whole Ready Player One is going to start creeping into everybody's life somehow. That's one of 
of the things that I see growing in the future. What types of big businesses tend to invest their money in esports? In terms of big businesses getting involved in esports or gaming is going to be anything that is core to Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So, you know, generally you'll, you'll see like energy drinks, fast foods, snacks, candy. Those, those are the kind of guys who get involved and to a lesser degree. You know, the other notables that you'll see is auto, fashion, FMCGs. So within like, I would say the core, the reason why they go into esports is because they realize that Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're very fickle that to rewin this audience, you know, just because it's popular with their moms and the grandmoms. And that doesn't mean it's popular with this generation because this generation wants to make their own choices. So, you know, that's why these guys are, are going into, you know, esports and gaming because they realize how important this demographic is. They realize this demographic doesn't watch TV. They use ad blockers. Um, they don't want to be advertised to. So they need to find a way to communicate and, you know, inject themselves into their mindset. One of the best ways to do that is basically gaming. So from a brand perspective, and I'm trying to, you know, see the business of it, brands are, are more inclined to get involved with mobile games because it's not violent or not perceived as violent versus let's say a, um, a battle royale game like you know where the combat is a little bit more realistic and people are literally shooting each other so what happens is more money gets pumped into those games because you can get better sponsors more involved in it and that really helps to grow the industry or grow that game in each market you know, I was going to ask you about, you know, what the local industry needs to improve on to be one of the top esports countries. You know, the top games are PC games. If you took the mobile side of this, I would say Southeast Asia are leaders. And, um, you know, Latin America is also pretty strong as well, too. And, and you see that Latin America and Southeast Asia and even maybe Africa and Middle East, they're all emerging markets. Like, look at how big Fortnite is in the U.S. versus how big it is in, in Asia. It's nothing here. Not even a top game here. I think we're already doing a pretty good job of dominating mobile sports. You know, what I do see is that esports will continue to grow. I don't see it going anywhere else. What I would think and I predict is that esports and gaming is going to be a lot more immersive in its nature. Instead of being on screens, maybe you're going to be in different types of environments in the next couple of years. What I mean by that is maybe games will be enabled in metaverse environments where the world of Roblox or the world of Minecraft comes to life more and you're actually in the game. I know it sounds like a little Star Trek action, but you know, I think that with the technologies being where they are, you can see it happening and that these immersive spaces will include a competitive gaming as well. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Ferdinand M. Gutierrez, Chief Executive Officer of esports company Ampverse. He tells Business World reporter Patricia B. Marisol that the future of esports and gaming is wide open. Several reports have tagged esports as one of the biggest and fastest growing industries in the world with a viewership in the hundreds of millions. In Southeast Asia, mobile gaming is king, and Ampverse said in August that it would invest 100 million pesos in the Philippines to build a lifestyle and gaming brand to allow the company to capitalize on the popularity of competitive gaming, which, Mr. Gutierrez said, will only get bigger. This B-side episode was recorded remotely in September 2022. It was produced by Joseph Emmanuel L. Garcia and me, Sam L. Marcelo. Thanks for listening.